0: So, we're going to be in Matthew and Luke. And this is the reason we're going to look at these two stories is because they tell the same tale. They tell the same situation, but they differ very slightly in some of their details and really just fascinating and revealing ways. So, I want to start with the account in Matthew. We're in Matthew 9, 9 to 13. And this is when Jesus calls Matthew. Uh, to be his disciple. This isn't yet the calling of the twelve to be the twelve apostles. This is the calling of Matthew to be his disciple, starting in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so the first difference we see there is Luke identifies him as Levi, Matthew identifies himself as Matthew, Mark does the same thing, Mark identifies him as Levi. And he is, the story starts with him, but he's not the main point of this story. But we are going to begin with him. Because if you've grown up in the church, if you've spent a lot of time in the church, you've probably at least once or twice heard that tax collectors weren't super high on the popularity list, right? But it's important that we understand just where Jewish society viewed tax collectors. Because it puts this story in perspective as we really wrap our minds around who Matthew was to these people. So, who was Matthew? It says he was a tax collector, and it says he was sitting at a tax booth. That detail's important. We'll come back to the, the sitting at a tax booth. But first, let's start with tax collectors or publicans. And there were two kinds of tax collectors in Jewish culture. There was the Gabbai, And they collected the big major tax. They collected the income tax. They collected the property tax. They collected a poll tax, which is basically the right to be a citizen. And so those were the three taxes that fell under the jurisdiction of the goodbye. And they came around pretty much once a year to your house to collect this tax. Nobody's a fan of it, right? Nobody likes paying taxes. But everybody understood their role within society and kind of accepted it. And then in addition to them, you had the Mokes. And the moaks, these guys weren't so readily accepted. Because they didn't collect the big annual tax that everybody knew. They taxed everything and anything they could. They were still working on behalf of the Roman government. They were still working under the authority of the Roman government. But they taxed, they would set up their tax booths. You know, Think of a toll booth, right? They would set up their tax booth by bridges and by major roads and at major intersections and thoroughfares and at gates of cities. And they taxed everything. You came through with a cart, we're gonna charge you an axle tax. Oh, and we're gonna charge you a tax for the oxen you have pulling the cart. Oh, and you have goods on the cart? Now we're charging you a transportation tax. And you have somebody with you? Now we're charging you a passenger tax. The mokes anything that they could get away with, they were going to charge you a tax for. And these taxes were arbitrary. One week it was this, the next week it was a little bit higher, the next week it was even a little bit higher. Because, see, they had an understanding with the Roman government that the Roman government was like, I'm going to use modern money. The Roman government was, all right, you need to charge 20 bucks. Anything you get over that, that's yours. So the mokes would arbitrarily create prices and taxes for the people. And then even within the mokes, you had two kinds. You had a great moak and a little moak or a small moak. Zacchaeus is referred to as a chief tax collector. He was a great moak. He was behind the scenes. He oversaw multiple little mokes, the people actually outmanning the booths. Matthew, remember what I've said multiple times, every detail in the Bible is there for a reason. Matthew, sitting at a tax booth, would have been a little moke. He would have been the one face-to-face with the people, arbitrarily picking the prices and taking it from them, that they would have been forced to interact with regularly. Matthew would have received all of the brunt of the ire and the hate and the dislike. Because remember, he was Jewish. These Moks were Jewish. They were fellow Israelites. And God, in the Old Testament, laid out very specifically, Israelites, here are how you are to relate to one another financially. If you lend money, here's how you're to do it. If you borrow money, here's how you're to do it. God laid out specific instructions for how the, the Israelites were to relate to one another from a fiscal standpoint. In the Moks, everything they did went against what God had laid out for his people and their relationship. I want to put this, just in case, just in case this is still, I mean, really, you have to understand how despised these people were by their fellow countrymen. Mike, this is, I'm going to take a slight risk. I think I know the answer. I hope we're friends, right? Maybe, Maybe. okay. <laughs> That's better than no. That would have been really embarrassing. Right? So Mike would admit in public, I like Sam. I like Sam. Mike, let's use your imagination for a second. And everybody else, too, you're not off the hook. Everybody else use your imagination. Red Dawn happens. North Korea invades, right? They take over. North Korea now runs our country. They run our state. We're all Americans. We're not a fan of this, except for Sam. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, North Korea's in charge now. I'm going to go align myself with the people in charge. I know where you live. I-, I live near you. So I set up a tax booth right at the end of your street. And every time you leave to go to work, eight, 20 bucks, And then the next day you leave to go to work and I say, I had 30 bucks. It was 20 yesterday. Yeah, whatever. Give me 30 bucks. You can't say or do anything about it because I have armed guards with me, most likely, maybe not. But even if I don't have armed guards with me, I'm operating under the authority of North Korea. So the people who are in charge of you ultimately, if you go against me, you're going against them and you now risk imprisonment, you risk fines, you risk seizure of property. So you give me the 30 bucks even though the day before it was 20. And then when you come home that day, you had picked up Logan on your way home and so I say, okay, 30 bucks and another 10 because you have Logan in the car with you. And I keep doing this. And some days I raise the prices just because I want a little extra money in my pocket. Are you still going to consider me a friend? Not even close. Not even close. Mike is not going to be in public like, yeah, that guy Sam who's just stealing and robbing from me, he's good. We're on good terms. That's what a little moke was. That was a little moke. That's who Matthew was to his fellow countrymen. He was at the lowest of the low, and unless you think that I'm reading into this too much, let's look at how Scripture describes the relationship between tax collectors and the rest of society. Let's look and see what plain tax collectors were put on, the Talmud, the Talmud, which was not Scripture, but the Talmud was the body of Jewish law that governed their civil everyday life, their ceremonies. So the Talmud was the Jewish law. And it taught that it was completely okay to lie to Mokes and to deceive them. There was no problem with it. If you were able to lie to and deceive a tax collector, good. You've got the stamp of approval. That's fine. They were talked about. They were put on the same plane as prostitutes. Listen to this. In Matthew 21, 31 to 32, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. And he's talking to the leaders. He's talking to the religious elite in this conversation. And he's saying, okay, you're here. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are over here, and they're the people who got it right. Tax collectors were used as the baseline for the lowest possible mark of decency. In Matthew 5, 46, Jesus said, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Right? The people were bragging, oh, I feel good because I love those who love me. And Jesus is saying, but even the tax collectors know to do that. Right? He's holding them up as, come on, I mean, even the tax collectors know to do that. They were not well thought of in Jewish society. These guys were at the bottom of the proverbial totem pole. And again, this continues looking at their Jewish culture, the relationship between tax collectors and Israelites. This is a map of the temple. And if you can see, it's got numbers that identify different sections of the temple. And the priests and the Jews, the Israelites, they would have been allowed into that inner box. Like the, So you've got the big yellow box, and then you've got a box with a bunch of little different segments in it. That was for the Israelites. Do you guys see 12 down in the bottom corner? Twelve corresponds to the court of the Gentiles. And so you would have had a large outer space and then the temple inside of that. To use modern terms, kind of imagine we have our building, right? And then we have the parking lot. The parking lot would be the court of the Gentiles. Where you would say, look, you can come on our property, but you can't come in the building. The building is for Israelites. The building is for God's people. You stay out in the parking lot. Tax collectors were not allowed into the temple. Even though they were Jewish, even though they were Israelite, tax collectors had to stay in the court of the Gentiles. The temple guards would not allow them in the doors because of what they did. We see this in Luke 18, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector." And Jesus goes on to describe the prayer of the Pharisee. That would have been happening in the inner courts where all the people could have heard him, where the Pharisees, where the leaders would have gone to teach and to speak to the people. They were allowed in there, not the tax collector. The tax collector standing a far way off. Tax collectors weren't even allowed in the building, even though they were Jewish, because of what they did and what they chose to do with their lives. That's who Matthew was. This would have been huge to the people. Because see, in those days, even if you didn't want to acknowledge that Jesus was Messiah, and many of the people didn't, many of the leaders didn't, even if they didn't want to acknowledge Jesus was Messiah, everyone readily accepted Jesus as a rabbi. Jesus as an esteemed leader, an esteemed speaker. Somebody, he, he knows what he's talking about. Jesus is a rabbi. He's going to have disciples. It was an honorable thing to be the disciple of a rabbi. That was a big deal. And for a rabbi to call you to be his disciple was an even bigger deal. Whoa, that rabbi went to you and said, "Hey, will you be my disciple?" That's significant. So for Jesus, this rabbi to go to a moke, to go to a little moke, and say, "Hey, be my disciple," jaws would have dropped. What? What? Wait, Jesus called who? He called a small moke? Does he not understand what kind of person a small moke is? But Jesus went after Matthew. And what do we see in Matthew's response? We see the beauty of repentance. Earlier in this series, August 9th to be specific, in case anybody's curious, but earlier in this series, we spoke at greater length about what repentance is. We posted a clip explaining or just a refresher on repentance on our church Facebook page earlier this week if you happen to catch it if not if you missed it just a reminder just a refresher on what repentance is repentance we described it as a radical turning from sin it's a complete abandonment of the life before Christ and this is what Matthew demonstrates here what's it say it says and leaving everything he rose and followed him That phrase, leaving everything, we've seen it before in studying Scripture. It implies irreversible action. This isn't a, well, I'm going to leave it for now and maybe come back to it. This is, no, bridges burned, I'm done, I'm gone. I have nothing to do with that anymore. It's what we saw in Luke 5.11 when Jesus called the men who were fishing. It says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Him. They made their mind up. The previous life, done, gone. I'm following Jesus now. They modeled repentance back in Luke 5. Matthew is modeling repentance here and now. And so we see that he doesn't have to waver. He's not wrestling with conviction. Jesus calls him and Matthew responds. He leaves behind his former life and he follows Jesus with everything. And keep in mind, he would have been leaving behind the most lucrative career path possible. You start off as a little moke, and then you become a grand moke. And those guys raked it in. Matthew left behind the best, safest. I mean, he had the Roman government behind him. He most likely had armed guards with him. He had access to money and influence, and he left all that behind to follow Jesus. It's this same idea we see later in Luke 9, starting in verse 59. To another Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Looking back is not repentance. Trying to hold on to the old life is not repentance. Matthew left all of it behind immediately. He rose and followed Jesus. And in this repentance, we see a fascinating aspect of Matthew's character. We see his humility. We see this transformation. And and again, this is why we read both accounts, to pay attention to the small details. In Matthew's account of what happened next, Matthew says, Jesus called Matthew, and Matthew rose and followed him. And then Matthew said, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house. It's a pretty bland statement. That's how Matthew reported it. Luke reports it as, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. Matthew doesn't include the fact that it was himself who did this. He who did this? Himself? I don't know. Matthew doesn't include his own name. Luke takes the time to point out, Levi was called from being a little moke, abandoned it entirely, and then used his own money, his own home, to throw a feast for Jesus. And he invited all of his friends. There's such a beautiful lesson in that. You look at who was at this meal with Jesus. It was sinners and tax collectors. Why? Because that's who Matthew knew. Matthew didn't invite the religious elite. Matthew didn't invite anyone other than tax collectors and sinners because those were the people he knew. Those were the only people who would associate with him. So Matthew meets Jesus and his response is, okay, abandon this, follow Jesus, and hey, friends, you got to come meet Jesus. He threw him this feast in this house. It's incredible to see the transformation in his life in just these few short verses. And we also see the humility of Matthew as he looks back at his own past. Because I think sometimes there's a temptation for Christians to want to present themselves as better than we are. I think that's a very real problem for the church and for the Christian. And we want to gloss over the parts that don't sound as nice. Not Matthew. In a few weeks, we'll be looking at when Jesus calls the 12 apostles specifically. I want to give a very brief, I'm mean, going to say brief, literally four words, right? But I want to look at when Jesus calls the apostles. And I want to look at how Matthew reports it, Mark reports it, and Luke reports it. Matthew says that Jesus called Thomas and Matthew the tax collector. Mark and Luke say Jesus called Matthew and Thomas. They leave out the tax collector. When Luke refers to Matthew, he refers to him as Levi the tax collector, and then he refers to his new identity in Christ, Matthew, without the baggage, without the history. Matthew's not ashamed of his past because he's abandoned it. It's no longer who he is, but it's a part of who he was, and Matthew includes that detail. And I think there's power in that. I think there's significance in that because he's pointing out, this is who I was. This is who Jesus came after. This is who Jesus redeemed. And the lesson for us, I believe, is clear. It's not about having a perfect past. It's not about being flawless. It's not about being the most educated, being the most influential. It's about being presented with the person of Christ and responding appropriately. Matthew did. And I love the heart of repentance and the heart of humility. That we see in Matthew when Jesus calls him to be a disciple. But like I said, the story is not about Matthew. None of of it is. The story is not about David. The story is not about Jonah. The story is always about God. Scripture is about the Lord. Our lives must be about the Lord. And in this story we see the same thing. That it is about Jesus. It is about the heart of Christ. The response of Christ. So, I want to look at the next detail in this story and what we see about who Christ is and what Christ offers. What does it say? It doesn't say Jesus was just eating with these people. It says these sinners and tax collectors, it says they were reclining with Jesus. This would have been incredibly troublesome to the people because to recline with someone now, if, if I have you over to my house, if you have me over to your house, we're going to sit around a table. We're going to have nice elbow room, right? We're going to be separated depending on how many people are there, but there's going to be space. We're going to be in chairs. It's going to be, it'll be casual, but there will still be a degree of formality. Not back then. Back then, meals were very intimate. Meals were very, you were lounging, you were reclining, you probably were shoulder to shoulder with the person next to you. It was a very familiar environment reserved for your close friends reserved for the people that you were comfortable associating yourself with and the Pharisees had a problem with this they have a problem with this in the story but throughout scripture we see that the Pharisees have a problem with the degree to which Jesus willingly associates himself with these sinners these tax collectors in Luke 7:34 Jesus is speaking, and he says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, they used a friend of tax collectors and sinners as an insult against Jesus. This is why we shouldn't take him seriously, because he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Luke 15, 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They grumbled about this. Luke 19.7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So what we see time and time again is that Jesus associates himself with the very people that the religious institution of the day thought he was better than. And so what we learn about the heart of Christ is that these are the people he came for. This is who he's seeking out. This is who he desires. But we also see something beautiful. Matthew responds Jesus calls, follow me. Matthew responds with repentance. And Jesus immediately offers relationship and fellowship. It's the same idea in Revelation. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It begins with Jesus. Jesus calls Matthew. Jesus stands at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, let him open the door for me. Matthew hears Jesus call him. He responds. Let him open the door for me and I will come in and fellowship with him. Matthew responds to the call of Christ and Christ offers immediate fellowship because that's where Jesus' heart is for these people who repent. And the Pharisees missed this point. They missed the point of who Jesus was and why he came. And so Jesus tells them. Jesus informs them about his purpose. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want to look at both half of that phrase, or of that sentence, that answer of Jesus. Go and learn what this means. That was a phrase of the time. And it was a rebuke. It was a rebuke that rabbis would use with their disciples, their students, who had missed a point that they should have understood. Go and learn what this means was somebody saying, go and do your homework. Don't don't bring that argument to me. You don't get it. Go do your homework. Jesus says to the Pharisees, He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And when He says, go and learn what this means, He quotes an Old Testament passage to them. The Pharisees, who would have known the Old Testament better than anyone else. This was their bread and butter. This is what they built their lives on the Old Testament. And Jesus says, you missed the whole point of the Old Testament. Go and learn what this means. He quotes Hosea 6.6, God speaking. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God had to tell His people time and time again in the Old Testament, guys, you're, you're missing the point. You're missing the point of my commandments. You're missing the point of what I'm instructing you to do, who I'm instructing you to be. First 1 Samuel 15.22, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Micah 6, 6-8 through 8. What does the Lord require? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Moral standards are the priority. The behavior, the heart is the priority. And make no mistake, the Bible is not merely about morality. You can find morality in a number of teachings. But what God had to tell his people time and time again throughout the Old Testament, what Jesus has to tell the Pharisees time and time again is, I'm not concerned with the outer appearance. I don't care that you go through the motions. I'm not here for a legalistic adherence to the rules. Because the rules, the legal rules would have been a rabbi doesn't eat with tax collectors. Jesus says that's not the point. The point is the heart. The point is the heart of mercy. The point is the heart before me, not that you go through the motions, not that you follow the rituals. That's not why I came, that's not who I am. That's not what I desire. We looked at just last week. 1 Samuel 16:7. The man looks at outward appearances, but the Lord concerns himself with the heart. Jesus looked at Matthew and he saw a repentant heart. The Pharisees responded with the opposite. And Jesus says, Go and learn what this means. You guys claim to be students of the Old Testament. You claim to know my word and you've missed the point. Go and learn what this means. And then he goes on to say, I did not come to call the righteous but call the sinners to repentance. That word that Luke uses is so essential. It's why we we posted a video from a previous sermon looking at repentance. It's why we started with Matthew's heart of repentance. Jesus says, I didn't come for the healthy The doctor comes for the sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. You see, the bottom line is everyone needs Jesus. Make no mistake, everyone needs Jesus. Every single person who ever has existed, ever does exist, ever will exist, we all need Jesus. The unrepentant heart recognizes this. Or I'm sorry, don't quote me on that. The unrepentant heart does not recognize this. The repentant heart does. The repentant heart is able to acknowledge and freely acknowledges, I need a Savior. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. The unrepentant heart stubbornly persists against that. This was the problem that Jesus encountered with the Pharisees throughout His ministry. And frequently, beautifully, we frequently see tax collectors, mocks. It's why we started off with such a detailed look at just who a tax collector was. Because frequently the Bible, Jesus holds up mokes as examples of the heart that gets it. Luke 15.1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Luke 7.28-30, to 30. this is Jesus speaking, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Listen to verse 30. The tax collectors too. When all the people heard this, including those moaks, they understood. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Ah, what a heartbreaking phrase. They rejected the purpose of God for themselves. God desires a repentant heart. God seeks a desire or seeks a repentant heart. It's why Jesus came for the repentant heart. That is the purpose for ourselves. And when we can't admit that, we're rejecting the purpose of God for ourselves repentance that leads to restoration. To quote the sermon from earlier in the series where I spoke at greater length about repentance, remember we talked about the Holy Spirit convicts that leads to repentance, that leads to transformation. God's purpose for ourselves is rejected when we come before Him with an unrepentant heart. John 9, 39-41, Jesus lays it out as plain as can be. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The problem with the Pharisees was they were convinced they were the ones who saw. And Jesus says, if you would realize that you are blind, you would have no guilt. But the fact that you say we see, your guilt remains. You see the difference in a repentant heart and an unrepentant heart. The unrepentant heart is unable to or refuses to acknowledge how desperately it needs the grace and mercy of a Savior. And in Matthew, the tax collector We saw repentance. We saw humility. We saw someone who left everything behind to follow Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees had a problem with it, and Jesus says, no, this is the exact reason I came. For the repentant heart. And so this week, as we continue with our week, I want us to read two stories of tax collectors. We referenced Zacchaeus already. Let's look at Zacchaeus in greater length. We referenced the the Pharisee and the tax collector who pray in the temple. Let's look at it in greater length. So this week, let's read Luke 18, 9-14, and read Luke 19, 2-10. Every day, read about these men. Look for this. Look for the idea of a repentant heart and an unrepentant heart in these stories. And ask yourself a very difficult question. I've told you guys, I, I only ask questions that God is having me ask myself. Right? That's, it's not fair to do it any other way. I've been asking myself, does my heart more frequently resemble a tax collector or a Pharisee? Because that phrase, that idea, I mean, when Jesus is talking in John 9 to the Pharisees and the Pharisees say, we see, right, that, that's such a dangerous attitude. It's that attitude of reading Scripture and getting to a passage about, okay, do not envy, do not gossip, do not let malice or slander or bitterness or division be a part of you. And saying, well, well, that doesn't apply to me, right? Jesus is talking about the blind and those who see. That's for the other people who are blind. I'm, I'm not blind. These Bible verses about division within the church, that's not me. I see. It's such a dangerous heart. It's such a dangerous mindset and that's not who Jesus came for. Jesus came for everyone but he's looking for the repentant heart. And so as we read, as we ask ourselves these questions, I, in case you, you benefit by this, I think the prayer is simple. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you and I, I praise you for redeeming and forgiving me. For looking at me a moke. I, I mean, please, guys, I'm a small moke. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. I have nothing on my own to offer Christ aside from a repentant heart and a surrendered life. I'm not getting into heaven because of anything I did to deserve it or earn it. I'm a small moke right there with Matthew. So Lord, thank You for redeeming me and forgiving me. And as Matt comes, we have a closing song for today. But instead of singing... Please, don't, I mean, if you want to sing, sing inside your head. Pray the words with the song. But let's just take a time of prayer to be quiet before the Lord. Just a time of repentance. A time of, Father, forgive me. A time of abandoning everything that used to do with our life. Walking away from the tax booth of who we were before Christ. I want us to be a church that repents. I want us to be people who repent and aren't afraid to repent knowing what did Matthew find when he repented? He found fellowship with the Savior. So why would we be afraid to repent if it's what Jesus came for and what Jesus calls us to? Let me open us in prayer and then please continue to pray as Matt sings. And Jericho. Father, first and foremost, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for offering us forgiveness. I mean, you promise forgiveness when we repent. That's incredible. What an undeserved gift. So, thank you for your mercy and your love. And Lord, now we repent. I repent. Everything that is in me that is of the flesh, of the world, my arrogance, my frustration, my envy, my impatience, I repent. Lord, teach us what it means to leave that tax booth behind forever and follow you entirely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.